Okay, um, we have been talking the last few times about the judgment of the cross. Are you okay? We're good? Uh, and, uh, and just for anyone that may not have been here, when I say the judgment of the cross, I don't mean, um, I, I guess I don't mean what it sounds like. I don't, I don't mean punishment or, or retribution. I mean a division. I mean, the word judgment has to do with dividing, dividing, um, dividing asunder, dividing down the middle, dividing life from death, dividing Adam from Christ. And we talked about all of that. Um, take my hat off here since I'm in church. Um, so, uh, we, we, we looked at what the Bible calls the division between the, the first and the second. That language I take from Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, where, uh, throughout that book you'll, you'll see, uh, the first and the second. Sometimes there's a word after it, like first and second covenant. Sometimes it just calls it the first and the second. He took, he, he um, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, he took away the first, um, in order to establish the second. And, uh, and so I tried to, I tried to describe, that's what, there's some, on that diagram down there, which I may or may not be referring to later, uh, is an attempt to, to describe or to, to point out here the, this, this division. There's a cross running down the middle. This chain here is the, is the old covenant, which is the old relationship that God had to an old creation, an old man and an old creation. The cross was the, the division, the end of, of God's relationship to that man and that covenant. And the cross also established in the resurrection a new man, a new creation, a new covenant, a new relationship. And all of that's just, uh, I'm attempting to, to show that there in that diagram. So, um, so it's this, it's this division. It's this, uh, it's, it's, it's this separating, this division that I'm trying to really Give the, the Spirit of God some time to work within our hearts. That's what I'm trying to do here. Because everything, well, first of all, because you'll never see the bottom of it. Uh, it's, uh, well, first of all, you never see the bottom of it. and But second of all, you never get anywhere until you begin to see it. Uh, if the Lord does not, does not have room in our hearts to, to show us this division... That is the cross. You know, I, I, sometimes I shy away from using words that, that, that the church uses so much just because they, they should impact us with, with, a, with a great amount of weight and reality, but sometimes they're so familiar to us that they, they don't hit us. We've heard them so many times, our whole cross. You know, well, you get, yeah, it's all about the cross. The cross is so important. Why? What is it about the cross? Well, what I'm trying to say is that what it is about the cross that needs to hit us and keep hitting us and, and, and cut us deeply forever is that it is a division and everything that god teaches the human soul is taught in in such a way that <clears throat> everything god shows you everything god makes real to you stands upon rests upon the division of the cross and there was a time in my life when that would have sounded like a very strange statement um but that's, but that's only because I didn't understand 
the absolute centrality and the enormity of the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, so I'm hoping that in some of these messages, the Spirit of God has the freedom in our hearts to, to magnify the cross, you could say, to make this as big of a reality in us uh, as, as it is, um, make it as big to us as it is to him. And, uh, and what we've, we've, we've seen and hopefully already seen to some degree and understood is that the cross is bigger than a ticket to heaven. The cross is a lot more than just forgiveness of sins. The cross is more than just God's justice for, um, uh, against sin or unrighteousness. The cross is a division, a division that only God can know and understand, and therefore a division that must be revealed to us. You'll never probe into it. You'll never understand it with your natural mind. It must be shown. And the reason... <clears throat> The reason why God has to show us the nature and the reality of this division is that because as we grow up in him, it is, it is precisely this division, it is precisely experiencing this cross, experiencing this death, this burial, this resurrection, that is what transforms the soul. Nothing else does. Every kind of religion or gospel separated from the experience of the cross in the soul is equally dead and meaningless. And so what we need is this cross, this division working in us to take away what, what the Bible calls old, take away what God considers to be dead, Put away everything that uh, is on, on this side of the cross, what we were calling the first, the first man, the first creation, the first covenant, and establishing in us and revealing in us everything that God calls the second, the new. And as we said before, new has nothing to do with time. I mean, there was a time when Jesus died on the cross, and there was a time when Jesus rose from the dead. But the newness of, of everything that we experience in Christ is not time-related. In other words, it's not like, here's my, here's my old hat, but I have a new one in the car. And, 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 and what I would mean by that is it's, they're both the same, except one's newer with respect to time. That's not how the new covenant is. That's not how the new creation is. That's not, how the new, that's not what new life is. It's not a new you. It's not a new anything that you've known. It's altogether new. It's altogether different. And, uh, and so we spent a, uh, a week or two mostly focusing on the division with respect to the old and the new man. And, uh, and then last week I tried to focus on, uh, I said some things about the, the, uh, the old man, the weakness of that man with respect to his relationship to the law. And, uh, and, this is something that I think is massively misunderstood in the body of Christ, um, our relationship to the law, what the law was given for, what the law proved and demonstrated. Um, and, and so we spent some time talking about the law, and we saw that Paul called the law a ministry of condemnation. He called the law a ministry of death. Contrary to 
the way that we often use the try to use the law in the church as an instruction manual for uh, appropriate living, Paul understood the the law to have a much different significance uh, for the Adamic man. Paul says it caused uh, it aroused our sinful passions. He says the law caused us to know the nature of sin by causing that nature to manifest in in many individual transgressions. It showed what it what it really is. He said that we would not have known sin except through the law, and we, we went through a, a whole bunch of verses like that. If for those of you who were here last week, you remember that. And the point of all of this was was to say that the law functioned in two very specific ways. First, it described and demanded the righteousness of God. And at the same time, it demonstrated and condemned the unrighteousness of the Adamic man, the the natural man. And so we saw that the law condemned the Adamic man to death, and the cross became the division. This is the aspect of the division I was trying to highlight last week. The cross became the division between that man, between the Adamic man and God. The cross became the way that God gathered up that man, the entire Adamic race, and put them out of his sight in judgment. That's what the cross was, setting him away. The cross became this this, this line, this boundary between the living and the dead. It ended God's relationship to one kind of man. And it, and, it, and it finished God's dealings with that man. It, it finished... Uh, I won't say much more about that. This is, just real briefly, this is why Jesus is called the last Adam. 1 Corinthians 15 calls Jesus the last Adam. He's not the last Adam to exist on earth. He was, however, the last Adam to have any relationship with God. So the cross was... The beginning of God's relationship, well, the end of his relationship to one man and the beginning of his relationship to a new man, a new corporate man. And that new man came forth out of the grave. And that grave, the scriptures, especially in the prophets and the Psalms and the prophets, describe that grave like a womb, like the womb of uh, a womb of death that travails for three days and three nights and then out of that out of that womb zion came forth in a day a nation was born in a day all the all the scriptures in isaiah and everything that, that speak of this are 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 awesome but it but it came to pass in the resurrection of jesus christ what came to pass newness something altogether new a new life a new kingdom a new creation a new covenant a new man all of it Born in an instant. The earth travailed and out from the earth, away from the earth, came forth the head first, as we see in natural types and shadows, unless it's breach, but the head comes out first. And attached to that head is a body that shares the life of that head. And Paul describes this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, that the Jew and the Gentile were both put away in Christ's death, and out of, the, out of that death he brings forth one new man. And, and that one new man is neither Jew nor Gentile, and yet that one new man is made up of both Jew and Gentile. 
He is Christ all and in all. We are the body. See, what comes out in that resurrection, and I'm a little off topic here, but this is important to understand. What, what, what happened... You know, what happened at the, at the division of the cross was not just the putting away of this, it was the beginning of this, it was the increase, it was the, it was the commencement, the birth. Out comes, out comes Christ the head, Christ the life, Christ the resurrection, Christ the beginning, the firstborn among many brethren, the firstborn from among the dead. This is what the scripture says. And then right connected to him, following him, comes the body the increase of Christ, the harvest of his kind, the increase of his seed, the kingdom over which he is the king. So, uh, so what, what is this new man that comes forth? Well, if again, Ephesians says in Ephesians 4, this one man has one spirit, one mind, one faith, one baptism, baptism into his death. One father lives by one life. He's made of, of, again, made of Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free, male and female. But in Christ, there is no male, female, Jew, Gentile, slave or free, barbarian, Scythian. He is, this, this one new man is the living body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church. The church is something that is infinitely bigger than we have ever thought. But you can't know the church until you begin to see the one who is the life of the church. You can't comprehend the greatness of the church until the Spirit begins to reveal the greatness of its head. That's a totally different subject. Last week we discussed the, uh, the fact that the Adamic man in every way has fallen short of the glory of God. And... And that this natural man with this natural, you know, this natural mind and natural senses cannot know God, cannot access God, cannot please God, cannot understand God. In fact, this man has been divided from God by the cross. The law judged this man guilty and, and, and judged him to be worthy of death. And the cross executed that judgment. And the cross still stands now and forever as that eternal boundary between that which God has rejected and, and that which God has brought into himself. There's only two kinds of reality in the universe. There are those things which are part of what God has rejected and there are those things who have died and their life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul says it like this, Through the law I died to the law. I've been crucified with Christ. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, What the law could not do because it was weak through our flesh, God did. So that now the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in us who no longer walk according to the flesh, who no longer walk according to that man, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. And so what I was trying to highlight last week it was the absolute inability in every sense of the word uh, of anything that is Adamic, anything of the Adamic man, anything of the Adamic world to please God or to be able to stand in his sight. The cross has settled that issue. The cross has divided eternally between the living and the dead. 
And if any one of us, if anyone in this room, if anyone in this world who are born dead in sin and transgression, who are born in hostility and enmity with God, as the scripture says, contrary to him, unable to submit to him, unable to know him, unable even to seek for him in a way that would find him, lest he be revealed to us. If any one of us desires to live and have life, we must, we must come to know ourselves and experience in ourselves the, the, the door to that life is first being baptized into the death of Christ, where it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And any other kind of, uh, any other kind of relationship that we think we have with God is, is an imagination on this side of the line. Adam has no relationship to God. That mind, that man, that nature, it cannot access God. And, uh, you know, we've looked at some of these verses, but I, 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 sometimes, just so you know, I, uh, I am intentionally repetitive because when it comes to knowing the Lord, um, it's not a matter of how much ground we're covering in lessons or messages or teachings. It's a matter of how much ground we're letting the, the, the truth as it is in Christ uh, penetrate our hearts by the revealing of his spirit. So that's something that um, we, we need to keep opening ourselves for that reality to happen in us. Uh, Paul says in, a, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that spiritual reality, the, the, the things of the Spirit, cannot be known or understood by the natural mind. Um, Romans chapter 3, Paul talks about, you know, we've talked about the condition, the condition of this man. And so, if you and I are going to know the Lord, it's not going to have anything to do with what we are by nature. If you and I, if you and I are going to go on to, to, to know the Lord, it, it's... It's, it's not going to have anything to do with what we think in our minds or what we want with our flesh or what we know with our five senses or what we need according to our own carnal desires or lusts. If you and I are going to know the Lord, it is going to require the Spirit of God to deal with our hearts according to this great division called the cross. And first, as we have said, we need to be born of an altogether different kind of life. And then we must begin to turn our hearts you know, we all, I think, probably started right with new life. And that's where I got off. That's where I missed the next bus. And, and rather than asking God with the childlike heart to teach me the life and the world that I had just been born into, I began trying to learn it with my mind and serve it with my flesh. So anyway, then we must turn our hearts. We must turn our hearts to the Spirit of God to reveal the life that has been given to us, the life that the Lord has deposited in our soul. And then we must constantly and daily bear in ourselves the, the end of what God has separated from himself. And there's no other way to know the Lord. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know the Lord and everything else is done and oh God, just to know you. But he, he, he defines the way that God is known. I want to know you. How? In the fellowship of your sufferings being conformed to your death that I may attain to your resurrection. That's the way. That's the way he is, he is known. Jesus says it like this, no one can be my disciple unless he hates his life, loses his life. 
and uh, and I and I know I you know I, I hear myself saying this, and I'm thinking, as I always do, I've been thinking this way for years. Uh, if people aren't continuing to see this deeper and deeper, it must sound like the most boring thing in the world. It must bore people to tears to listen to this. But this is a very, very deep well. And and that's the understatement of, of, of my life right there. The cross is how God sees everything. Um, the cross is how God relates to everything. If you have a question about anything spiritual, if you have a question about anything natural, if you have a question about anything that has to do with God, anything that has to do with reality, I can promise you something. And, and maybe, maybe this won't make a whole lot of sense right now, but I, promise, I, can, I can promise you this more than I can promise anything that I know. Whatever your question is, whatever your problem is, the answer will come to you in a greater realization of Christ and Him crucified. That's a fact. The answer will be yours only in a deeper view of the cross. God sees everything. God has done everything. God has finished everything. God relates to everything according to that great divide. And that's why this division, this judgment, this boundary is not something that we're going to talk about just once or twice. This division is not going to be something that, even, that we're even trying to learn about. This division is something that we are going to need to experience in our soul unto the complete devastation of all that God has judged through the cross. What God has done in this silly little diagram that I'm trying to illustrate, what God has done in, in separating all of that from himself, we must bear that in ourselves. We must bear, bear it. You know, not learn it. Bear it. God's not wanting to teach you how to do witnessing. He wants to make you witnesses of what he has done. And it says that in Acts chapter 4. But <clears throat> this division is not, it can't be, it can't be an intellectual pursuit for you. It can't be a matter of curiosity. Jesus says in John what, 21, I think, or 20, I have, many, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. That doesn't mean you can't handle it. That doesn't mean you won't get it yet. That word bear is the word carry. You can't carry it in yourself. You can't wear it yet. I would tell you, but it would just be words to you. And I'm not telling you anything so that you learn truth as words. I'm telling you everything so that the living word be revealed in your soul, that you could actually wear it, that you can actually bear it in yourself, that the reality itself becomes what you are, how you see, what you think. That is why God reveals his son in you. That's why God doesn't reveal his son in so many of us, because he only reveals his son that you could be conformed to his image that you could bear in yourself that life, that death, that end, and that beginning, that you would know him according to the cross. So the judgment that we're talking about here, see, we're going we're, we're we're gonna to see, we're going to see this, and I know some of you, if not all of you, have begun to see this, and that's wonderful, and I can't even tell you how, excite, how exciting that is, uh, just for me personally, to have people interested in knowing this as more than words. 
I've seen a lot of people come and go thinking these are interesting words in the last few years. It's a different thing altogether to, to be willing to bear in yourself this judgment, this cross. This judgment is going to become our judgment. That's what I'm saying. It's not going to be a it's not going to be an abstract concept for you. It can't be. It won't be for long if you see it. It'll get very personal. It'll start messing with your life. The, 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 the judgment becomes our judgment. The death is going to start to become your death, your end. And this end is going to become uh, devastatingly real. And, and, and yet, the other side of that is resurrection. That's why Paul says it like that. Oh, to attain, to, to be conformed to his death and attain to his resurrection. Resurrection is always on the other side of death, his death. And so, in, in this, in, in, in light, if the light, if we let the Lord show us these things, that, and, and, and his light, all of this will become real. You want to know why it'll become real? Because it already is real. And all you need is the light of the Spirit of truth to guide you into what God has done. So you can abide there and live there and experience that life. So the resurrected Christ starts to become the person in whom we live. He starts to become the place that we call home. He starts to become the truth that we, that we understand to define all things. But everything, everything comes out from this thing called the cross. The work of God, the divide, the great divide of the Lord. So, we're not doing a series on the cross here. We are being escorted by the Spirit of God into a deep and hopefully permanent familiarity with, with, the, with the cross in such a way that we will be conformed to the, to the one whose cross it is. We've, we've all been in Christ probably for a while. I've been in Christ since we were born again, whatever that was. It's time that we learn to be in Christ according to His judgment and walk by His judgment. Walk in His way. So, uh, with that said, getting kind of off my notes here and I don't want to go too long, but... Uh, I, I planned on just kind of having a short little introduction there and then starting talking about the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. And, and I'll say maybe some things about that now. We'll, we'll keep going with this next week because the cross, the cross divided the old man and the new man. But the cross... And, and we haven't even begun to scratch the surface with that. But I'm just trying to... You know, right now I'm just kind of trying to advertise some things. I'm just throwing out some 30-minute commercials or something, you know, that, that we all need to uh, do business with before the Lord in our own hearts. Um, I wanted to say a few things about the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. Again, this is not a theology to be studied. This is a relationship. That's what a covenant is, the New Covenant, okay? Uh, well, any, any covenant. Um, let's see here. I mentioned here, you can kind of see that in the diagram, if, if that diagram makes any sense to you, that, the, that through the cross, God ended one kind of relationship that he had with man. And through the cross, he established another kind of relationship uh, with man. And, uh, and that's really, when you think of the word covenant, um, if you're like me, I, I probably heard that word thousands of times before it had any real meaning in my heart. 
It just was one of those Christian words that everyone knows, you know, New Covenant Church or uh, I don't know. It's just it's one of those Christian words. And um, and uh, but the concept of covenant, even even the even the definition or the reality of what covenant is, I think, was pretty foreign to me for most most of my life. And, and it's really quite simple. A covenant is is really just a relationship. Okay, it's it's a it's a kind of relationship. It's a it's a particular nature of a relationship that two parties uh, relate to one another by. It's um, I used to say it like this: It is the understanding or agreement by which two parties have some sort of relationship. It's it's really that simple. In the in the natural realm, uh, an obvious. Example would be marriage. Marriage is a covenant. What does that mean? Well, it's a, it's a specific kind of relationship. It's not like every other relationship that you have. A, co- a marriage covenant is a, there's, there's parameters to the relationship. Those parameters are defined by the covenant. You understand? It's an understanding. It has a specific understanding and agreement associated with it. So when two people come into a marital covenant, uh, they're walking together according to a common understanding. The covenant determines the boundaries of the relationship. That's a good way to say it. The covenant determines the boundaries of the relationship. So therefore, in like my covenant with my wife, my relationship with my wife, there are certain things that are outside of the boundaries of that relationship. By definition, there are, I can't just bring another person into this marriage. You know, that's, that's against the rules of the, that's against the agreed upon relationship, you know. I, I can't treat my wife in various ways that are contrary to this covenant, you know. I, uh, it's not up to me to, suppose, I mean, people do it all the time, but it's supposedly not up to me to end this covenant. Um, and it's the same thing with the Lord. Our, our covenant relationship with God is something that we enter into with Him. And, and what is it? Well, it's a kind of relationship. It, it, has, it has parameters. It has an understanding to it. There's a particular nature to this covenant. It has, has boundaries. God has, God has a perfect understanding of the nature of our relationship. Okay? And we're supposed to learn that understanding. We're supposed to walk in that understanding. In the Old Covenant, God had a perfect understanding of, 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 of the Old Covenant and he wrote his understanding of that relationship on stone. He, he took the nature of the relationship that he saw and understood and wrote it on stone and gave it to, gave it to a people. Well, in the New Covenant, God has a, again, he has a perfect understanding of the relationship that he has with the people in covenant. And yet now he writes that understanding not on tablets of stone, 1 Corinthians 3 says, but on the tablets of the human heart. So here's what I'm trying to say. This is just kind of basic stuff here, but, but it's very important we start in the right place. Old covenant, what is it? It is one kind of a relationship with God. Okay, The new covenant is a different kind of relationship with God. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, okay, Jason, this is, this is, um, this is everybody knows this. But what, where I'm going with this is... I'm going to eventually try to show us that though we may know this stuff as a matter of theological fact, all of us in a huge number of ways are still trying to relate to God according to a covenant that he no longer has with you.
we have we have come to the new covenant and yet we don't know the nature of the relationship we don't understand it we have some terms that maybe we bop around in in small groups we don't know or experience the reality of the relationship the nature of the relationship and so we default to the kind of relationship that our natural mind comprehends in the natural realm, which has mostly to do with the old covenant or with just maybe the imaginations of man. But my point is, our failure to know the new covenant, we've come to this new relationship with God, and if we fail to understand what that means, we continue, and it's not like I'm going to point out three ways that we do this. Three million ways and five billion heart uh, motivations and ideas and thoughts and feelings and our, our emotions are affected by it. Our ideas about purpose and identity and God's, God's love and God's attention. I mean, everything that we think about life, everything that we think about God hinges on our understanding of a relationship that God has put away and a relationship that God has established. So it's 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 of paramount importance. It, it couldn't be more, it couldn't be more uh, important to us. And so that's where we're going, and we kind of need to work, uh, work our way there. But just for anyone, anyone new, I I, I am never interested in, in teaching. Never. I mean, there may be a place for this somewhere that I'm not, but I, <laughs> but I'm never interested in just trying to teach theological ideas and doctrines. Um, matters of theological relevance. If I say anything that sounds abstract, it's it's with the specific intention that the Spirit of God will will make these things real in all of our hearts, very real and personal. And, um, and, And so... Okay, forget that. Back to the covenant. God established... Um... I'm always cutting off rabbit trails in my head. It's it's hard to get anything said sometimes. Um, God established a certain kind of relationship with Old Covenant Israel, and that relationship had a specific nature, and that relationship had a specific function. Okay, and God uh, God has uh, now by the cross established a different kind of relationship. Uh, his first. The old covenant was with it was in the flesh, with old covenant Israel. The new covenant is in the spirit, with the new covenant Israel. You could say Paul calls it in Galatians six the Israel of God. Um, and and that new relationship has a different nature to it and a different function. Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter eight verse thirteen that in making the new covenant he has made the old obsolete. In, in chapter 10, he says he takes away the first in order to establish the second. And again, what I'm trying to get at is that there is a kind of relationship that God has made obsolete. There is a way that man used to have a, a shadowy kind of relationship with God in the earth that he has taken away. Okay, it's gone. It no longer exists. It only exists one place. There's only one place the old covenant still exists. And that is in the unrenewed mind of you and I. And I just want to suggest to you, and and maybe you got a little bit of time. Maybe maybe this could be uh, 
the main thing that I'm trying to say tonight. There are many things that do not exist anywhere except in the unrenewed mind of humanity. And let me say that a little bit stronger for, uh, for anyone that's willing to hear it. Everything that exists in the unrenewed mind of humanity is not part of what God has given you in His Son. So, as I say like a broken record, it, it, it behooves us to humble our hearts and constantly present ourselves to God to show us this, this, this cross. Um, okay, what is the Old Covenant? What is the New Covenant? We could spend a lot of time talking about that question. Let me say a few basic summary comments here. The Old Covenant was an old relationship that God had with the old man. That relationship was natural. That relationship was physical. It, it was material. It had to do with earthly things. It, all of it pointed to spiritual realities that were heavenly and eternal in Christ. But the Old Covenant relationship was the shadow of the things that we've now come to in Christ. The substance or the fulfillment of all that God desired did not come until the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, and so prior to the cross, God established in the earth an enormous amount of types and shadows, the, which, were the, which were the foreshadows, the, the previews of coming attractions. They were natural previews of spiritual coming attractions. Uh, often today we try to make them natural previews of natural coming attractions, and they're not. That's not, that's not what they are. They'll never be that. Um, so for a specific time, even though God is spirit, even though God desires worshipers who worship in spirit and truth for a time, he chose a natural place and a natural seed and a natural, natural realities in the earth that spoke of spiritual realities. And everything that God commanded in the Old Covenant. You know, all of... You remember when Jesus goes to the lady at the well in John chapter 4 and she asks him the question, well, you, you guys say it's this mountain and this city and we say it's this city and that mountain and Jesus says, no, no, uh, it's never been about that. There was a while, there was a, there was a time when God took a physical nationality and, and had them kill natural sacrifices and obey natural words written on natural stones and, and had, them, had them winning natural victories and anointing human high priests and human kings and celebrating physical feasts and ceremonies and following directions and commands that were words. They were words imposed on the flesh. See, all of that, though, he says to the woman on the wheel, all of that was the shadow. Time has come, it's over. You know, in just one sentence, he wipes away 2,000 years of Israel's history. I mean, he fulfills it. And uh, he says, all of that was a shadow. The time has come that everything that God has ever commanded in the earth, everything that God has commanded in the Old Covenant, from the smallest ordinance of the law to the greatest miracle, everything, he says, was a physical and natural and material prefiguring of a spiritual and eternal reality a spiritual and eternal relationship that you and I now have in Christ. 
And while the testimony could describe what Christ was to be as a high priest, it could not make any human high priest actually perfect or or, uh, effective. While the Old Covenant could describe righteousness with with words on a page, it, it never was able to make Adam righteous. While the Old Covenant could tell you what to do and how to do it and where to do it and where not to do it and when to do it, it could not actually bring about in you the righteousness that it was describing by those words. In the Old Covenant, God said, build a temple. In the New Covenant, God says, you are that temple. In the Old Covenant, God says, these are the words of righteousness. In the New Covenant, God says, let me reveal in you my word who is your righteousness. In the Old Covenant, God God had a king take all uncircumcised nations captive and cast down their high places. In the New Covenant, God's victory isn't over the uncircumcision of the flesh, but rather the uncircumcision of your heart. Taking captive, as Paul says, casting down high places, high thoughts that have risen up against the true knowledge of God. And... uh, you know, we could just go on and on and on, and I have a whole lot. I have a whole lot of here things here that I don't think we'll have time to get into tonight. Um, here's the big picture, and the one is the earthly and physical shadow, and the other is the eternal and the spiritual fulfillment. So, in the one, God says, don't do this and don't do that. In the other, God says, I am not this and I would never be that. In the first, God says, live your life according to these words. In the second, God says, abide in my life according to my indwelling word. In the first, God removes circumcision from his land. In the second, God is removing the uncircumcision from your heart. Two totally different kinds of relationship. Two totally different... Two rela- the relationships have different nature and agreement and understanding. And there's only one relationship that exists with God today. It's called the new covenant. It's in a new man. It's according to a new life. Let me just... Uh, I want to just close by doing this... Um, the best, you know, there's, uh, I've used this analogy a lot, and but still I don't have a better one. I don't have a, I can't think of a more appropriate way to illustrate the fact um, that we don't understand the new covenant than to use my hand analogy. Some of you I know have already heard that or, or, or read that or whatever, but maybe some of you haven't. If you, if you think about your hand for a minute and you're, and you're um, you know, just obviously you are joined to your hand um, by one life, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an individual member, but but this hand is is shares one life and has one mind with the rest of the body, and um, and 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 obviously it doesn't make sense that my hand has a has an individual will of its own here, but just for the sake of the analogy, pretend that it does, and 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 let's just say my hand turns to me and says, Jason, I just want to be close to you. I, I, I want you to, to meet with me in my prayer room and, and tell me what I can do to be like you. And, and, and I would then turn to my hand and say, Hand, um, there's, been a, there's been some kind of a misunderstanding. I, I think you're very nice. 
to say those kind of things to me, but but you are already joined to me. I'm joined to you. We share the same life. My life is in you, flowing through you. You don't have to try to be like me. That that's that's misunderstanding our relationship. You just have to to know and abide in my life, you know. And then the hand says something like, uh, uh, "Yeah, that's that's deep. That's really deep. That's that's good. I I'll have to mention that." concept in my next uh, elders meeting. But, you know, what do I really need to do to get closer to you? I'll do anything. I'll pray. I'll fast. You know, I'll, I'll do good deeds. And, and, and I want to, of course, I, I start addressing the hand and I say, hand, you don't, you don't, you don't get something here. There's a lack. There's not a lack of zeal, but there's a lack of understanding, you know, and, and what you don't understand is, is something so foundational I don't even think you're willing to, to let me talk to you about it. It has to do with what you are, where you are, who you are. And, and that lack of comprehension, that lack of understanding, it's drastically affecting your sense of what is real. You can't do anything to get closer to me. You, you're joined to my life. You just don't understand the nature of the relationship. You know, so in the, hand, the hand turns back to me and says, Oh, that's, that's all very nice. I've read that in a book. And, and I remember when I learned that in Sunday school, boy, did that hit me hard one day. Okay, now let's get practical. I need something I can work with here. You know, I need, I need something applicable, some, something that makes sense. Seven steps or three keys or whatever. You know, and, and, and again, I'm, just, I'm dealing with my hand here. And the only thing I can do with my hand is I have to bring my hand into my view of the nature of our relationship. And so I say, hand, there's nothing more practical than, than you experiencing and expressing my life and everything that you do. That's all I want from you. And, and the hand, you know, just keeps arguing with me. And, I, and I'm saying, you know, when you, when you look at this hand here, obviously th think about yourself. Think about your prayer life. Think about the way that you address God. So much of what we say to him, so much of how we try to relate to him, it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even exist as part of the relationship that we have. You know, the hand looks at me and says, I, 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 I'm, I'm so frustrated. I've been getting, I've been praying about this for days and I'm getting no answer. I, I, I'm, I, I'm just, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll, I'll do this ministry. I'll, I'll do a bunch of good things. And, 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 and I stop the, you know, I stop the hand short and say, listen, you can't, you can do whatever you think you want to do for me, but it'll be nothing because, even if you keep yourself very busy, if I'm not the author, if I'm not the source, source, if I'm not the reality of it, then it's just an expression of you. Apart from me, hand, you can do nothing. And that's the sad situation of my Christian life for most of my life. That's the sad misunderstanding um, that I think dominates the Lord's body, it, we, we have so many assumptions. We have so many things that we think are part of this relationship. And we constantly present them before the Lord for his approval or blessing or direction or steering or something. And yet we refuse to know and to humble our hearts to go back to the very basics of this relationship and say, what have you done? How am I, what does it mean that I'm joined to you? Where is your life? What does that even mean? It's difficult for the hand to, 
to understand anything because he's starting in the wrong place. He's facing in the wrong direction. He's willing to do anything except to humble his heart and let the Lord deal with the deep and terrible misunderstandings about the very foundational elements of his relationship. He's willing to hear everything except that he doesn't know anything. So I just want to stop by suggesting to you tonight that we are we are very much in the same situation um, as the hand. And at the very heart of the issue is the fact that we have not understood the cross as the end of one kind of relationship and the beginning of the only relationship that God now recognizes. So.